Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger, and from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey. You. It is our 2016 preview show. We will share which industries investors should be watching this year. We will make reckless predictions. And of course, we're going to share a few stocks on our radar. But let's, let's go broad, Ron Gross. When you think about 2016, what's an industry that investors should be watching? Chris, oh, Chris. <laughs> that means he's not sure. <laughs> off, the, Hang on one second. off the heels of a troubling 2015, you got to keep an eye on commodities. Uh, across the board, got slammed in 2015. At some point, we're going to see a turn. It's almost economics 101 when supply and demand come into to balance. Very difficult to predict when, but over the next year or two, I think we're going to see um, that there's a lot of money to be made. I prefer to focus on the industrial commodities rather than things like precious metals, but I think there's money to be made here one to three years out. Is that when, general enough for you? No, that's general. <laughs> that I, just, okay? I got worried when you when you started with uh, on the heels of a troubled 2015. I thought, oh, the market wasn't that bad, but yeah, commodities when, if you're just <laughs> looking at commodities, I, I get you. Jason? You know, a theme that we've been concentrating on the past couple of years, talked a lot about Top line growth with a lot of these companies, and and they've sort of been having to kind of manufacture earnings more or less. I, I'm going to be looking at just general consumer spending, businesses that benefit from that, because I think we may be in a period here where we could see a consumer uh, with a little bit more purchasing power, feeling a little bit better about things. You know, we recently had uh, Janet Yellen and the Fed went up there and and went ahead and started the process of raising rates. She said during that that quote, "We may be seeing some incipient signs of faster wage growth." If you have a, a, a you know an employment picture that's shaping up, in uh, you know, wage growth that's starting to pick up a little bit, maybe the consumer feels a little bit better about things. Maybe businesses like I don't know Whole Foods or Starbucks, things like that, the consumers see every day. Maybe those businesses start to witness a little bit more spending. Maybe we see some top line growth from some of these big consumer related uh, companies. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see, and then sort of also. How that plays into consumer saving, because I mean, I think we are looking at really, generally speaking, a dismally low savings rate, a personal savings rate today. If we can get that savings rate going up a little bit higher, which it makes sense that it would be, we'll see a little bit more more money going to fixed income instruments, potentially more money going to the stock markets via retirement plans, such. So, so that's that's what I'll be watching. Matty, two industries top of mind actually right now. First one is clean energy. Extension of the solar wind tax credits. I just think there's going to be a lot of momentum and catalysts going to those places. And uh, you know, Solar City is one company to watch, which is just rallying towards the end of the year. Uh, the other industry is, is is the video game industry, but more specifically, virtual reality. I think we're going to consumer the consumer electronics show next week. Uh, so whether it's Facebook, Google, or, or video game companies like Activision Blizzard, I just think it's going to be a huge new medium for you know not just playing video games but shopping, tourism, watching sports. So watch out for virtual reality. We're going to see some big announcements this year, and it's really going to become a big platform one to three years out. Now, do you think I don't disagree with you there? But do you think we may be seeing a little bit of excitement here in regard to virtual reality, uh, akin to what we've seen with 3D printing? In other words, a lot of hubbub, a lot of headlines, a lot of buzz. Perhaps we see a little bit too much enthusiasm for something that hasn't really materialized yet, because we've seen a lot of investors get smacked from those highs of those 3D I, printers. Fair point, Jason. I think when I think of virtual reality next to 3D printing, though, I see I see a lot of practical applications right off the bat 
I mean, we've talked about things like real estate, you yep. know, going to tour yeah. a home mm-hmm. using, you know, virtual reality goggles or just or shopping or trying things out. I just think there's a lot of applications and it's going to it's going to work. And down the road, when price points come down and make them really available to, to the average consumer, then I think it starts to get exciting. And I think that's the best observation, right, is that with VR, you could see plenty of consumer applications with 3D printing. You kind of had to make a leap to connect those. Well, two it's guys. on the consumer side, right? It's it's yeah. still in the hobbyist stage, but virtuality doesn't have to be. Yep. You mentioned clean energy. That goes right into the next topic, which is energy writ large. It was a year ago we were talking about falling oil prices, Ron. They've fallen even further. Where where are we now? Because it seems like we're now at the point with some of these oil and gas stocks where. It might be time to jump in, and or, or it might be no. What we learned in 2015 was stay the heck away. Well, if you're asking me to predict oil prices, I will not bite. Do it. I, oh, I will not. Do it. But I will say, if you're a long-term investor, I think right here is a fine place to start putting some capital into this sector. Um, and you could add if things get a little worse. You could sit tight if things get better um, more quickly than perhaps anticipated. You can play it directly through the EMP companies, the exploration companies. I like the service companies and and the machinery companies quite a bit. Maybe folks like Core Labs or National Oil Well Varco, Baker Hughes. I like uh, to play this that way. So I do think it's a fine time, but you got to be patient. And if you're looking to flip and make some cash over the next six months, then all bets are off. Is this one of those situations, Jason, where bigger is better? Where I, if you're going to jump in here, go with something bordering on the behemoth side of? Yeah, I mean, in agree in agreement with Ron here. I mean, I completely uh, am in line with the it's okay, dip a toe in, get some exposure, um, but make sure that you are investing in the businesses that have the financial resources, the balance sheets, really the diversity to be able to withstand uh, perhaps an extended. A downturn here because I think I think we all felt like there there was the potential for for energy to start bouncing back a little bit here in 2015. It really uh, you know went the opposite direction there. So I don't blame Ron, Ron at all for not biting there, but definitely bigger uh, is is better. <laughs> I, I think it is the time to get interested in energy. We got interested in million dollar portfolio, and, and Jason said it. You know, focus on the good the ones with the good balance sheets, the size, the right assets, and I think you'll do really well. Is the opportunity better? In oil and gas right now, compared to some of the more clean alternative energy, or is it? It really just depends on which company you're talking about. I, I well, I think you should have. I think you should buy both because I think both can do well. But I think uh, you know one. I think standard energy companies might might do a little worse sort of early on here in 2016 before bouncing back. But I think clean energy is really uh, on the rise. Ron, what's your biggest question as we head into this new year? I think I would go macro here. I think things are relatively solid here in the U.S. unemployment, GDP growth, but they're not great. They're not like you know the Rock of Gibraltar here. Any shock to the system could really send us back, um, and we could start to deteriorate. And so, long term, I try not to worry about that kind of stuff. But if you're asking me next twelve months out, that's what I'm keeping an eye on. Jason, uh, well, for me, I you know we have seen a lot of bad news. Uh, come through the headlines for Chipotle. And I don't think that bad news is completely over yet, either. I mean, I think that management has done a tremendous job of trying to get out in front of this and um, apologize. They are they are seemingly doing everything they can to try to figure out the source of this. I, I am convinced that we are going to see not only some really poor numbers from this from this fourth quarter with Chipotle, I think they're going to be worse than, than the management that that you know uh, the, the guidance that management recently uh, you know slashed uh, to, I, I think that 2016 the expectations they set for 2016 will will more than likely take uh, the market by surprise. I think that we are going to see 
um, more red for Chipotle before before uh, you know it, it starts turning back around. So my my big question is, you know, is this going to be the year really to build a position in Chipotle? My my tendency is to believe yes because they are really going to bring that hurdle down here in 2016. But that should make it very easy for them to clear those hurdles in 2017. So we're going to be keeping a close eye on that in million dollar portfolio, and I'm going to be doing it personally as well. Maddie, I think the biggest question for me is this: this gradual, you know, rising interest rate environment. What does that do to the the housing market, which has just been really on fire the last five or six years? And you know, the housing market does so much for the the rest of the economy, and so. Does that does do gradually higher interest rates? Do they slow buying? Do they slow? They certainly are going to slow refinancings. There's no doubt about that. But what does it do for the rest of the economy? I'm I'm really watching that one. All right. Before we get to the break, uh, 2016 is going to be busy outside the world of business. We've got a presidential election here in the United States. We've got the Summer Olympics. Some pretty big distractions. There are always distractions for investors, Ron, but there sure. there are more this calendar year just baked in. So, what's one under the radar story that investors should try and keep an eye on? Well, back to our energy discussion. I like to play um, the weakness in energy through some of the equipment companies and some of the ones that perhaps are not well known but do have profitability still even in this environment and strong balance sheets. So I think an, an underrated company would be a company called FlowServe, ticker symbol FLS, manufacturer of pumps and valves that are needed to move oil and natural gas. Stocks down 32% this year, not surprising in this environment, but I think that creates a really nice opportunity. Jason? Yeah, something not a, not a lot of people are talking about. I think this holiday season will will uh, will show us the importance here, but I think that we need to keep an eye on Amazon and their potential foray into the shipping logistics industry. Uh, we found out this year about Project Aerosmith. No, Ron, I'm not talking about the band. Sounds <laughs> uh, too bad. The, the potential that Dream they're leasing on. out 20 air cargo jets. And I think that you know, for Amazon, this is perfectly sensible. This is not an example of Peter Lynch's diversification. This is something that's right in line with what they do already. They're really trying to become less and less dependent on the FedExes and UPSs of the world and take more control of that relationship, getting the product from the, the fulfillment center to the consumer in as little time as possible and controlling those costs as well. And it seems like they're making some steps to, to really build this out. It could be a tremendous market opportunity on top of the e-commerce business and cloud business that we already know. Maddie, uh, no. To me, I think there's I think there's going to be more turmoil in the Middle East, and it's not really because of the, the terrorist headlines or the ISIS headlines. I really think low oil prices and the historic move, really, which is being under, I just feels like it's underrated for me. But the historic move to to allow U.S. exports of oil, uh, I just think Saudi Arabia and OPEC have really they they fought they started a war. I think with the U.S. the North American uh, shale industry, and I think they're it's a war they're ultimately going to lose, even though they won the battle. Uh, in 2015. So, if you look at just Saudi Arabia, for example, 80% of their you know their budget essentially is dependent on oil. Um, if oil prices continue to drop, their deficit is going to go higher. And um, I just that's going to be it's going to be geographically and around the world something to watch in 2016. Coming up, resolutions and reckless predictions. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. It is our 2016 preview show. Ron Gross, a lot of companies out there need a hit, a lot of industries need a hit, and there are certainly a few CEOs who need a big year. 
Who do you think needs it? Well, these folks need it, but I don't think they're going to get it. And that's Sears, um, ticker symbol SHLD, um, going downhill fast. Eddie Lampert, um, hedge fund guy and CEO of Sears, not getting it done. Things keep getting worse. Jason? Yeah, this may take a few people by surprise. I'm actually going with Berkshire Hathaway here. I, I feel like, <gasps> Whoa. yeah, I know. It's it's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, it's it's not to say that we don't still love the company, but the fact of the matter is that Berkshire Hathaway shares are down against the market this year. And uh, the last time that actually happened, where Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway shares finished down and down against the market, I think was 1999, if I'm not mistaken. Now, it's okay. The world's not coming to an end. We can let this go. The problem is, if they don't deliver next year, if they have another year like this, then you have to start asking yourself, why is that? And you look at some of those holdings in Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio, you know, they have some great stayed names in there, but American Express, IBM, which Buffett continues to tout and back the truck up on, they've not been performing so well. You know, he doesn't own things like Amazon, Google, Facebook, Netflix, and you have to kind of start asking yourself the question: Why and will they ever? Matty, who funny, needs a hit? funny. He said Berkshire. I'll, I'll explain later in the show, but I think Apple needs a hit. Uh, it, it, a tough 2015 uh, stock was is down 20% from its high. You know, whether it's Apple Watch 2, iPad Pro, which is out now, or maybe the iPhone 7 later in 2016. I just think Apple needs to remind people that they're still one of the most innovative companies on the planet, and hopefully they have that this year. A lot of shows make responsible predictions, but on this show, every time this year, we make one reckless prediction for the new year. Ron Gross, what do you got? Apple will buy Tesla. Currently well, set with a market cap of $30 billion, I say they give them $40 billion, 33% premium. They um, accelerate their desire to manufacture the Apple car. And that's how they get it done. Nice. Jason See, I was going to go really reckless here and just say like Urban Outfitters compliments their pizza acquisition by buying Ben and Jerry's <laughs> and bringing that in the fold as well. Um, I'm not going to go there. I think honestly, though, Google, you know, they continue to try to figure out how to crack this e-commerce nut that Amazon has done so so well in exploiting. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if Google made a play to acquire Wayfair at some point this year because Wayfair is still in that range where it's affordable. It's a good business with pretty, uh, you know, pretty pretty light sort of capital needs there, and I think it would it would certainly fit right in, right in there as a Google property. Matty, and Google's not cracking that nut, but Amazon <laughs> is continuing to crack that nut. They doubled in 2015. I think Amazon could double again wow. in 2016, <laughs> which would actually make it would would help it surpass Apple as the largest company uh, on the on the planet. So we'll see. That's why I love reckless predictions. Uh, before we get to the stocks on our radar, let's just go around the table because it is also the time of year for resolutions. Ron Gross, you got a New Year's resolution? It doesn't have to be about investing, it can be anything. For me, it's less TV, more reading, both fiction and nonfiction, which is tough now because there are so many darn good shows out there. There are. But more reading. Jason? You know, a few years back, I made the resolution to quit eating Jolly Ranchers, and I did for an entire year. <laughs> Um, now, I've got a bowl of Jolly Ranchers in the house. I've fallen off that wagon, Chris, so maybe it's about time to get back on it. So, I'm going to say less Jolly Ranchers and more water. Nice. Maddie. Well, I've always wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon, so I'm really going to try this year. Um, I also, uh, my, uh, my bigger goal, though, is we need to deliver a market-beating year for MDP members. So, that's there it is. That's my resolution. Let's bring in our man, Steve Broido, from behind the glass. Steve, do you have a New Year's resolution you're kicking around? It's funny. They all involve Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> 
Is that weird? <laughs> Not at all. Let's get to the stocks on our radar. Ron Gross, what are you looking at? I'm going to start this year with a company I talked about a lot last year, which is Titan International, TWI, maker of industrial wheels and tires. It was not a pretty year for 2015, and I apologize to folks who bought the stock um, based on my recommendation, but it's not over yet. At some point, the agricultural, mining, energy sector will turn. This business will turn with it. There's some balance sheet risk here, so buyer beware, but I think we could have a four or five bagger on this one. Listeners to our Market Foolery podcast are familiar with Titan International because recently we had talked about the worst corporate logos <laughs> and the grizzly bear <laughs> emerging from the tire wearing the sunglasses. And the CEO having the nickname The Grizz. Yeah. Steve, question about Titan International? How would this stock know that it needed to go up? It seems like such a niche company that even if things were going great in agriculture, how would it know it? This I don't know how to answer that. The stock doesn't know it, but eventually, when people recognize that uh, the cycle is about to turn, money will pour into this sector, not just this company, but many of these sectors, and um, the good old supply demand of stocks will will do its magic. Jason Moser, what are you looking at? Yeah, I can appreciate sort of the short-term focus on Star Wars uh, for Walt Disney and whether it breaks this record or how much it's going to make for this particular movie, um, and certainly also the the pessimism there in ESPN and potential court shavers, court cutters. I think we look. Looking further out, though, look five years down the road, I think that Disney continues to look like a, a company just poised to really succeed and continue to grow. They are going to really, really take it home, I think, with the Star Wars fri uh, franchise. And, and Bob Iger, earlier this year, very, very astutely recognized that, that ESPN is a property that one day will be offered over the top. So I think that opens itself up to, to plenty more opportunities there uh, to get in more people's hands with mobile technology. I think there's just too many reasons for Disney to succeed. And when I see weakness and pessimism in the shares like we're seeing, Today, uh, this is one that we have on the watch list in MDP, and I'm really hopeful we get it in there this uh, this coming year. Steve, is the market just unreasonable? It seems like Star Wars <laughs> has done so well, I, biggest movie in history. What did what, what what do people want from these? What more do you want? want from them? I agree, Steve. It's like hashtag WTF. I mean. <laughs> Matt Argensinger, what are you looking at? Well, you think since I said Amazon's probably going to double this year, I should go with Amazon. But no, I'm I'm looking at one that Jason mentioned earlier. And that's Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's tickers BRK-B, unless of course you're lucky enough to afford the A shares. Uh, but you know, quietly, Warren Buffett had a pretty bad year. A lot of energy exposure, manufacturing exposure, uh, the big you know equity exposure to American Express and IBM, which had terrible 2015s. Uh, so the stock's down about 20% and trading around 1.3 times book, which is not expensive for Berkshire. And of course, we know Buffett would buy back shares if they fell to 1.2. Uh, so one on my radar for sure. Steve, does it make a difference? This is a I will not be in my. This is not a problem for me. But if I own the A or the B shares, does it make any difference? Well, just owning A means you're really filthy rich, and B means you're not. <laughs> I think that means you're getting into certain parties <laughs> but that you might not get to otherwise. Just the, the voting difference. There's a voting difference, of course, but they're, they're, they should trade almost the same. Disney, Titan International, Berkshire Hathaway, you got one you like there, Steve? I don't know. Disney sounds pretty good. I like it. I own it as well. I think we all know Steve owns the A shares of Berkshire. Am I right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Thanks for being here, guys. Coming yes. up, we revisit our conversation with best-selling author Dan Levitin. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Dan Levitin is a professor of psychology and behavioral neuroscience at McGill University. He's also a New York Times bestselling author, and his newest book is The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. Dan, thanks so much for being here. 
Oh, it's my pleasure, Chris. Uh, there are a lot of books out there about how we can all get better organized, uh, but your book really gets into the science behind how our brains work. How does, I guess my first question is, how does understanding neuroscience help us get better organized? Well, as you say, there are a lot of books out there that purport to tell us how to get better organized, how to be more focused, uh, how to be more productive, but uh, the vast majority of them aren't based on scientific principles at all. They're just somebody's own idea, and many of those ideas aren't even tested before they write about them. Uh, where I'm coming from as a cognitive neuroscientist, my my occupation is studying thinking for a living, how the brain works and uh, in some cases how it doesn't work. And people in my field have learned a lot about uh, why the brain pays attention to some things and forgets others. And that became the foundation for writing a book about how we could use the science uh, of attention and memory to help us all in our daily lives. You mentioned attention and memory, and one of the things your book gets into is new research into those areas. So let's start with attention. What, what do we know now about attention that we didn't a few years ago? Well, one of the big things is that uh, we all experience decision fatigue, uh, and this is a biological constraint in the brain. Every time you make a decision, you use up a little bit of the brain's fuel, which is glucose. And uh, unfortunately, the biology of the brain doesn't distinguish between unimportant decisions and important ones. So if you make a bunch of unimportant decisions, like whether you use a green pen or a red pen or whether to eat uh, Honey Nut Cheerios or Multigrain Cheerios, after a sequence of such trivial decisions, we find that people exhibit poor impulse control and exercise poorer judgments in really important decisions, such as whether to put your retirement money into stocks or bonds. Well, I mean, that's a no-brainer. I mean, who would choose multigrain Cheerios over Honey Nut Cheerios? <laughs> uh, it, I thought you were going to go off about the stocks and the bonds. <laughs> No, I think people have heard me do that before. Um, you know, is is that why? I mean, there's the story about Albert Einstein where he he had seven different uh, copies of the exact same wardrobe. Is that why he did that? Was Einstein sort of early to the to the table on this one that he didn't want to waste one second thinking about what clothes he was going to wear? I'm guessing that that was it. Although he didn't have the neuroscience behind it. Uh, you know, my colleague Oliver Sacks. Uh, adopts a kind of similar rubric, which is that he has the same thing for lunch every day. If you don't have to make these trivial decisions, it lightens the neural burden so that you can really focus on the important ones. Now, I wouldn't advocate necessarily that you wear the same kinds of clothes all the time or that you eat the same thing every day. That's a very personal choice. But what the science does suggest is that if you have important decisions to make, make them early in the day. What do we know now about memory that we didn't a few years ago? Well, we know that memory is more limited than we previously thought. That is the short-term working memory, the number of objects you can consciously deal with at any one time. And this is where memory and attention intersect. It turns out that we can't multitask. Uh, we can't really do a bunch of different things all at the same time. We can keep track of three or four things, and beyond that, uh, something starts to fall out. So a number of experiments in the workplace show that people who are multitasking actually get less done at the end of the day than people who use a dedicated focus to one task, 
finish it, and then go on to the next. Multitasking, though, seems like one of those things that, uh, I, I don't know, it seems like people have a hard time not doing it. I'm, ju- I'm just wondering why that is. If it, you know, If it is something where we're really not being more productive, and in fact, we're being less productive, why do you think it is that we keep doing multitasking? Two reasons, Chris. One is that um, we're under the illusion that it's working. And so if your brain is telling you, I'm good at something, you keep on doing it. Uh, But as a neuroscientist, I can tell you that one thing the brain's very good at is (laughs) self-delusion. So (laughs) uh, just because we think that it's so doesn't make it so. And the experiments bear that out, both from brain scans and from workplace experiments. The second reason we do it is that it makes us feel productive and it feels good to us to be doing all these things. There's a neurochemistry behind this. Every time we can tick off a little task on our internal to-do list, uh, we get a little shot of dopamine. And every time we pay attention to something new, we get another shot of dopamine. Dopamine is the chemical in the brain that makes us feel good. It's what mediates pleasure. And we set up what is a physiological dopamine addiction loop, where we crave more dopamine even though the dopamine is being produced for things that aren't productive. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Dan Levitin. His new book is The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. One of the things your book gets into is uh, sort of how we can be better at organizing, um, not necessarily learning new mental tricks. And I wanted to get into uh, some of the tips from your book. Uh, And the first, this seems to, uh, in some ways, go against the rise of the information age. One of your tips is use a paper to-do list. Yeah. So I I do want to point out that um, in in the book, I'm not prescribing or suggesting or or recommending a bunch of high-tech solutions uh, to increase productivity. You don't have to go out and buy a new computer or go to the stationery store and get a new filing cabinet and a bunch of color-coded folders and tabs. I'm not talking about that. In general, I'm talking about very low-tech things that any of us can put together in an afternoon. And um, index cards or or notepads is one such uh, suggestion because we now understand that the neuroscience of writing things down by hand allows for deeper encoding because it requires a lot more, uh, well, what we call deep processing, a lot more neural circuitry to write something by hand than to type it. And so you're apt to remember it better. Uh, And the other thing about writing it on paper is it's easier if you use index cards to resort them, put them in different piles, and put them in different stacks, and to have them in front of you when you're working at your computer. Uh, The problem with making computer lists, although it's better than nothing, is that it's it's a little bit more cumbersome to cut and paste the items if you want to reorder them, and they're often hiding in a window behind the one you're working on. Uh, one of your other tips is uh, music to my ears, which is take breaks. Um, d- just so I don't get in trouble with my boss, how many breaks are we talking about? Well, this again gets back to the science of attention and the physiology of the brain. Um, the brain didn't really uh, evolve to stay focused Uh, for long periods of time like we sometimes ask it to do. We push ourselves these days. I think all of us feel like if we stop work for even just five minutes, we're going to fall irretrievably behind. And and the fact is, if you stop and take a break of about 15 minutes every two hours, 
it allows you to hit a kind of neural reset button in your brain so that when you come back to your work, you'll find that you're more creative, you're refreshed, you've replenished some of the depleted neurochemicals. And a number of studies show that at the end of the day, people who took these 15-minute breaks every couple of hours not only got more done than people who plowed through, but their work was of a higher quality and more creative. This is even more so true with naps. A single 15-minute nap in the afternoon gives you an effective IQ increase of 10 points. I don't know about you, but I, I would really like to have 10 points extra <laughs> IQ. I think all of us would like an extra 10 points on the IQ. I mean, in my line of work, that's the difference between getting tenure and not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You mentioned the end of the day. I think a lot of people have trouble leaving their job at the end of the day when they go home, whether it's uh, to their own place or to their family or or friends or whatever. Um, How big a challenge is that right now? Because it really does seem like, particularly with technology and you can get your email on your smartphone, uh, that we're so connected that it, it's maybe harder than ever before to leave work at work. You're absolutely right. So uh, we're all being asked to do more than ever before, uh, both at work and at home. Um, and I think a lot of us feel when we are at home that we can't be fully there. We've got these nagging thoughts in our head about things at work we didn't finish, Uh, calls or emails we didn't return, um, worries that maybe we didn't solve a problem that we could have. And then when we're at work, we're thinking about all the things we didn't get to do at home. And so as a result, you end up being really in neither place fully. And when I'm talking about trying to get better organized, I want to be clear that I'm not talking about creating a bunch of mindless automatons who are rigidly strapped to a schedule all the time. I'm talking about a few simple changes we can make in how we structure and organize our time uh, so that when we're at work, we're more productive and efficient, which allows us to uh, really close the door on work at the end of the day and be present with our loved ones in our hobbies and in our leisure activities. Uh, I, uh, paradoxically, I think you know, being more, more efficient and productive uh, allows for more time to be spontaneous and creative. I can't believe I'm the only person who struggles uh, with email, um, and I'm curious um, how you organize your own email. What What's something that we can all do to sort of keep our email better organized? Well, after talking, you know, I, I interviewed a lot of CEOs and uh, government leaders, uh, military leaders, generals and admirals, some cabinet members in the U.S. government, um, and these are highly effective, very, very busy people. And I'm adopting uh, two of the tips that they seem, many of them seem to be using. I've started doing this in the last couple of years. One is, um, like you, Chris, I think I get a lot of emails uh, that are not really urgent. Uh, I mean, things for something that's going to happen a month from now, or just something that's informational that I don't really need to interrupt my work to look at. And then a bunch of stuff that's nonsense, like videos of cats playing the piano. Uh, <laughs> do you get those too? <laughs> keyboard cat. Who doesn't love keyboard cat? Exactly. So um, I opened up a separate email account under uh, a private address, and I gave that to only about eight or ten people who I want to be able to reach me urgently. So that includes my loved ones, uh, my boss, uh, co-workers, And I further instructed them, 
Only use this account if you need to reach me right away. Use the old account that you had the address for for everything else. Uh, and so that's the first stage. Uh, the second is that the other account, the big one, uh, where I get hundreds of emails a day, I turn it off most of the day. And I have a, a partitioned period of time where I deal with emails um, an hour in the morning and an hour in the late afternoon. And then I just plow through uh, all of those emails and I prioritize them and I uh, either reply or file them. Uh, but what it means is that I'm not interrupted every few seconds during the day as I'm trying to work or for that matter, trying to enjoy some leisure time. I get money from you to tickle your whim or blow up your mind. Then I give money to you and you pay me back in kind. Coming up, more with Daniel Levitin. This is Motley Fool Money. I've got $2 in the jukebox, $5 in a bottle. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Dan Levitan. His new book, already a New York Times bestseller, is The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overlord. I know what Area 51 is. What is Area 47? Uh, we're not supposed to talk about that one either. <laughs> oh, we're not? <laughs> Are aliens involved in that one too? <laughs> Area 47 is the... Um the not very poetic name for a part of the brain that I've been studying for the last 15 years, just behind your temples. It's a little sliver of, of tissue um, that tries to predict what's going to happen next in the world. And you can imagine the evolutionary advantage of this. Uh, it helps you to figure out if that lion running is running towards you and about to attack or running in another direction. Um, and it's looking basically for structure and patterns in the environment. The interesting thing about this is that it helps to modulate dopamine, that so-called feel-good hormone we were talking about earlier. Um, when we are listening to music or when we're reading a novel, watching a film, uh, that structure is trying to figure out what's going to happen next. If, it, if the, uh, the piece of music, for example, uh, doesn't hold any surprises, Area 47 shuts down because it's bored. If the music is completely surprising and you have no idea what's ever happening, Area 47 shuts down because it's frustrated. Uh, it has to hit just the right balance of familiarity and surprise or of, of predictability and unpredictability to keep it happy. Um, and this has really big implications for the workplace. What we now know, again through neuroscience research, is that the happiest workers in general are those who work in a job that's somewhat predictable, but also has a few well-structured surprises that allows them to exercise some ingenuity and some initiative. Workers generally don't like to feel that um, their work is exactly the same day in and day out. They, they, they and their brains savor the opportunity to exhibit some judgment and expertise. Your day job is as a professor. I'm curious, how organized are your students? And if they're like a lot of college students and maybe not quite as organized as they could be, is that a point of frustration for you? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, I recognize uh, if they're in a, in a university program, they're trying to learn things and trying to get better at organizing their lives. So um, they're eager and they're um, dedicated to to learning. Um, 
I do recognize that there are different systems and different styles that people have. So broadly speaking, some people are filers, they file everything, and other people are pilers, they put everything in stacks or piles. And both systems are perfectly fine, depending on what you are comfortable with, with one exception. If you're dealing with paperwork, uh, or computer files for that matter, that are shared in an office or educational setting, um, piling is usually not a good system, because only you know where the piles are. So I try to train the students uh, for that portion of their work that they're going to have to share with others, like me. They need to have a perfectly transparent system that anybody can navigate. Now, you're a neuroscientist. You're a best-selling author. You're also quite an accomplished musician. Um, do I have this right that... Uh, in addition to playing the guitar, the bass, the tenor saxophone, that you've been a session musician with, I don't know, little independent, small, struggling groups like the Grateful Dead and <laughs> Santana and Sting and David Byrne. What what kind of double life are you leading here? Well, uh, I, I've always had a passion for music, and, and I, I don't want to overstate uh, my qualifications there. I was a sound engineer and consultant for the Grateful Dead and Santana and Steely Dan. Uh, it's only in my later life as a neuroscientist that I've had the opportunity to perform live with Sting and with David Byrne. But it's true, I worked as a session musician in the 80s on a bunch of recordings. Uh, maybe uh, one of the more well-known ones was the soundtrack to the film Repo Man. Uh, before we wrap up, give me one music recommendation. It could be an album you're listening to. It could be uh, a song you just learned about and it's in heavy rotation on your iPod. What's what's one music recommendation you can make? Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't make just one. There's so many good things out there now. Uh, one of my favorite new bands is called Claire and the Reasons from uh, Brooklyn. I'm loving a new album by Phil Claypool called The Strong One. He's an artist out of Nashville. Uh, and Rodney Crowell uh, has um, put out three stellar albums in the last couple of years, and he has a duet album with Emmylou Harris on the way. And these are all just as good as music gets, as, as far as I'm concerned. The book is The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. It is the latest New York Times bestseller from Dan Levitin, so check it out. Dan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Chris. Before we wrap up, it's the start of a new year, and we all know that every year, one of the most popular resolutions is about money, and we here at The Motley Fool want to help. We've got five free podcasts that will help you get your financial house in order and invest better. We cover everything from basic personal finance to helping you make sense of the business news every week to helping you find the next great rule breaker stock. Motley Fool Podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, everywhere podcasts can be found. And they're free, so check them out. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next week. Hey.